included in the last sentence of this text is the word beloved. And when we consider the fact that Jesus was surrounded by people who, like himself, had been baptized by John the Baptist, we can imagine that they, too, were people loved by God and affirmed in their own faith and in their own way. And with our hearts and minds turned this month to the celebration of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the nation's greatest prophets and moral philosophers, it was not a stretch to imagine that all who came to John at the waters of the Jordan had in their own time become a part of the beloved community. A community, Dr. King would say, of people of different backgrounds who recognize that we are all interconnected and that our individual well-being is inextricably linked to the well-being of others. Today, January 15th, marks the 90th birthday of Dr. King, one who popularized the term the beloved community. He did this after he became a part of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, a fellowship founded by philosopher and theologian Josiah Ross, who is credited with having coined the phrase, the beloved community. Over time, Dr. King invested the term beloved community with such deep meaning that it captured the imagination of people all over the world. And few people separate the term from him and from his work of social justice. When John the Baptist came on the scene preaching the repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, the fact that the people were filled with expectations makes us to know that things were changing in their world. A new order was coming into play. And here we are today. Over 2,000 years later, faced once again with a time in history when a new order is on the horizon, opposition is rampant between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God. When we look at the craziness in this world, it's virtually impossible not to see the tension of two kingdoms in conflict with one another. Violence against innocent people, slanderous declarations purported against certain groups, political rhetoric that has a flavor of reality TV, heightened commercialism, increased poverty, all of these are signs of the times, tempting us to turn our attention to the call of this world's kingdom. At the same time, though, we are ever mindful that a word of truth has come to us. The kingdom of God is at hand as Jesus said. And more specifically, in our own time, and in the words of Dr. King, the word has come to us that, and I quote, our goal is to create a beloved community, and this will require a qualitative change in our souls, as well as a quantitative change in our lives. There is no question that we are living in a time of widespread spiritual hunger. I contend also that God has recognized this hunger, and we are living in a time when God is looking for folk who would allow their lives to be interrupted, 
No more business as usual. People who are willing to come to the metaphorical banks of the Jordan and be baptized. The text helps us to know that Jesus was not the only one baptized that day. We hear through Luke and also through Matthew, if you were to read the Gospel of Matthew, what was said to Jesus that day. But we can only imagine what transforming words might have been spoken to the hearts and souls of others on that day. Earlier in his preaching, John the Baptist was confronted by this crowd from all walks of life, responding to his preaching by asking, what then should we do? And when I consider this, I am reminded of the numbers of people today who are no longer concerned with church life, yet they ask the question, what can I do to make life more meaningful? When I see people putting their time, money, and effort into spiritual growth, I contend that it is God who is prompting such interests it is God who is calling us forth to true transformation and reconciliation. It is God who is helping us to know that a new order is indeed before us, and we can't wait any longer. God is calling each of us to live as sons and daughters of God and sisters and brothers in the beloved community. For the whole creation waits and eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And sooner or later, if we're going to do anything to satisfy this spiritual hunger among us, the truth of who we are and what we are called to do in our own life and in our own lifetime must be discerned and it must be acted upon. Perhaps the story of Jesus' baptism can serve as an example of what taking action looks like and what we can look forward to if we allow our lives to be interrupted in this way. When we consider both Luke and Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus, we find that in the midst of people coming from all walks of life, the Son of God shows up, humbly submitting to John the Baptist who professes his unworthiness before him. In that moment, John is interrupted, and God's presence is made known in several ways, ways that we need to consider today. Number one, heaven opened up. Number two, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And three, the voice of God was heard. The scripture says, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him. Heaven is open up. When we walk in faith, it is not uncommon to hold a dream or a vision within ourselves for many years. For 30 years or more, Jesus must have waited for the hour to strike, for the moment to come that would make a difference. There is no record of Jesus having preached or performed any miracles prior to that. His act of being baptized was a full identification with the kingdom that John was preaching as well as the kingdom that he carried within himself. Heaven opens up to us when what's going on in the earth stands in solidarity with what's going on in the heavens. 
when humanity comes into agreement with the divine. When heaven is opened up to us, men and women recognize and acknowledge their own shortcomings, their failure to fulfill the righteousness of God, and they recognize their own need for God as never before. Heaven is opened up to us when what is right and just in the sight of God prevails over that which is right in the sight of the world. Heaven is open to us when the beloved community agrees that life in God is not devoid of interpersonal group or international conflict. Rather, heaven is open when we agree that life in God is a call to end conflict with reconciliation, a call to cooperate with one another in a spirit of friendship and goodwill. Heaven is open to us when the people of God recognize we can't wait any longer. Therefore, we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, even as it is in heaven. Secondly, the Spirit is poured out. When the Spirit is poured out, there is a divine impartation on those who have earnestly come to a place where they can say, this is who I am, and this is who I am not. That impartation is not limited to us individually, but is poured out on us collectively, as it was on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit tells us that at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit came as a dove, not as a roaring lion nor a conquering king. When the Spirit is poured out, that which used to be such a daunting task is done with ease, not because we have become so great, but because the Spirit of God has been given the space within us and in our lives to lead, to guide, and direct. The Spirit came then as it comes now to empower us. To be the overcomers we are called to be, it is most helpful to be mindful, as Dr. King told us, that life in the beloved community is not a lofty utopian goal to be confused with the rapturous image of the peaceable kingdom in which lions and lambs coexist in idyllic harmony. Rather, the beloved community must be for us what it was for Dr. King, a realistic, achievable goal that could be attained by a critical mass of people committed to and trained in the philosophy and methods of nonviolence a global vision in which all people share in the wealth of the earth, where poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated, where racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry, and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. Apart from the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives, many of us would never depart from our comfort zones or preconceived ways of seeing. Nor would we enter into that fuller fuller relationship that God calls us to. God has given us the Spirit of Christ that we might live as children of God. In the end, it is the Spirit that transforms opposers into friends. It is the Spirit that is in an overflow of the Spirit of Christ, seeking nothing in return, The Spirit is the love of God working in our lives. Therefore we say, Christ in you, the hope of glory.
And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, beloved, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. When we allow our lives to be interrupted, we should also consider that the voice of God will be heard. As sons and daughters of the Most High God, we identify with the family of God, and we can identify with the beloved community. The voice that came from heaven proclaimed what had already been spoken. God had already spoken through Anna and Simeon, through John the Baptist, and long before that through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delight. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Quite often when we hear the voice of God, it is a confirmation of something that has been inside of us all along. A dream, an aspiration, an inclination that has never or seldom been voiced. Sometimes it is a confirmation of a word that has been spoken over our lives. Sometimes it is the private and intimate promise that God made many years earlier. And sometimes it's a vision and a loving affirmation of what the future holds. And just as it was with Dr. King, that vision may come merely as a new way of life. Where heaven is open to us, we are empowered by the Spirit of God, and a way of life where no one has to be snuffed out, excluded, or exploited, was the affirming voice of God's love for all humankind. Dr. King was able to declare many things to the world, but on August 28, 1963, the voice of God came through him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Before the world and more than 250,000 marchers, Dr. King declared, we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And he went on to say, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream, and I would venture to say one rooted even deeper in the dream that God has called all of us to. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day in the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. 
I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today, Dr. King said. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with his vicious races, with his governor having his, his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. And drawing on the words of John the Baptist and the prophet Isaiah, Dr. King went on to say, I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Being used by God comes with discerning voices, with the certainty that God is with us, affirming that we are indeed God's chosen, certifying that the way before us is indeed the chosen way. Set before Jesus was the work to which he was called. We understand that when we use terms to identify ourselves as baptized believers, we declare that we have taken on the belief that in baptism, we are united with Christ in death and in resurrection. We believe also that heaven has been opened to us. The spirit has been poured out on us and God has spoken words of inspiration aspiration and confirmation to us. Therefore, we denounce the kingdom of this world. We embrace the kingdom of our God. And we live into the promise that God is our God. And we are God's people. Living, living in, in the, the beloved, beloved community, community of, of God. God. Amen. Amen.